Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors joins me now. You're going to sort of answer a question that came up, John, last time around, and it was a woman who was in touch with us about her husband who has passed away, but he, he got... MRSA, MRSA, yes, MRSA, MRSA, which is the, the super bug in the, in the, That's right, yeah. the and hospital. Funny, it, we were talking about the whole issue of knowledge and when can you take a case uh, if somebody has died and it arose in that context. Now, I'm not I'm not really able to answer the question itself. You, know, you don't have enough specifics detail. on I wouldn't that. I have yeah. enough detail on yeah. it. But interestingly enough, it comes within the ambit of a case that was dealt with earlier in the year which has to do with the whole issue of how long do you have, you know, after somebody contracts MRSA to take a case and whether or not, you know, the fact that you contract MRSA, whether you're in not so much... The case was of interest for one reason or two reasons mainly. But one of the reasons was that it was about whether or not time had run out on this person because they actually started the case three years after they contracted MRSA. And the question that came up is one that would come up commonly in medical negligence cases. And it is, and it came up again, if you remember the Neary, the Neary cases where, you know, there were hysterectomies that were totally and utterly unsustainable. And there, was, there were two cases under the Neary uh, period, if you like, or the set of circumstances. One of them was successful in taking a case, and the other one was unsuccessful. In other words, in one in one case, uh, the lady was out, was deemed to be out of time. In other words, she'd run out of time to take the case, and in the, in the other case, she, the lady was deemed to be within time taking the case. And the important question, I suppose, that had to be decided in both the Neary judgments and in this more recent judgment was, you know, when exactly could you say that the the time had run out and how do you come to that conclusion if you're trying to make this out? And it kind of comes back to the basics of what the legislation says. And the legislation says that, well, like all pieces of legislation, what the legislation says and how it's interpreted is maybe two different things. But this piece of legislation would seem to be relatively straightforward when you look at it. It says, look, you must have taken out proceedings. So in other words, you must have kind of started the paperwork in the court system uh, within two years from the date that the particular uh, issue arises or within two years from the date that you know or ought to have known, and that they're the important terms, knew or ought to have known that there was an issue to, mm. be, de- to be addressed. Now, where the courts have been kind of fallen over themselves, if that's not too impolite or disrespectful a, a, an approach to take or comment to make, is that the section says that the type of knowledge that you need to have to enable you to start the ball rolling is knowledge of 
what the set of circumstances or the set of facts that constitute negligence. So in other words, you must have a broad knowledge of a kind of, if you want to call it, and it's being called a kind of factual factual matrix, sounds like the matrix, but anyway, a factual matrix of the negligence, right? But then the section went on to say that you don't need, or rather that knowledge isn't knowledge that you have a case in law. So in other words, and so therefore that is what has caused a huge amount of difficulty from the point of view of interpreting what you're talking about because so you you know anybody would say to themselves well, what's the difference between knowing whether you've got a case and whether knowing whether knowing the facts of what makes up the case yes. you know what I mean? so that's the kind of conundrum that's been there for some time and that was very evident in the Neary judgment in the two Neary judgments because in one case in both cases both of the women involved knew quite a lot about the Neary situation knew quite a lot about the fact that there were issues about the Neary uh, debacle that happened in the hospital. And in both instances, you were dealing with a situation where there was a lot of publicity around it because there was an RT programme that was done. Mm. And in, in the case of the RT programme, the question that arises there is, would you have enough facts as by reason of watching a TV programme? Would you have enough facts by virtue of getting your medical records? Would you not have enough facts if you go to a solicitor? Would you have enough facts if you go to the doctor? So these were all the kind of questions that came up. And I remember reading quite a number of judgments. Now, I'm, I'm kind of off line here a little bit from the question that the, that the listener was asking, but the... All of the issues that are, that arose in the case, well, not all, but kind of the substantial questions that arose in each case was how the judges looked at, you know, the, the facts that you had and whether they, they were enough, if you know what I mean. Now, in one case, they held that the lady, although she had a broad kind of suspicion that there was something wrong, she didn't have enough information to know that there was something wrong until she knew the connection between the fact that the the hysterectomies were they were wrong, they shouldn't have been done. So in other words, she didn't know for quite a while as far as she was concerned it was something that was done by a medical doctor and it was okay that it wasn't until such time as she made the connection between the fact that it shouldn't have been done, that that was the key kind of fact that the, the Supreme Court decided in one case. In the other case the lady made a complaint to the medical council and in her complaint she detailed why she was complaining uh, Neary to the medical council and in that case they decided that she had enough information at that stage to actually start the ball rolling mm. in terms of litigation. Now, come back closer to home because the, the case, uh, so Sullivan versus the HSE is the name of the case, that was decided last year and that was the Supreme Court actually coming back to the situation, reviewing it, looking at it again, following Neary and, and re, almost re-engineering the logic of how you go about answering the question, did you know 
or ought you to have known? And that's the real nub of the question here because when the listener was talking about a situation, obviously a very tragic situation where her husband, I think, got MRSA while in hospital and there was a lot of questions about it and issues may have arisen. And there may, you know, and The question there or the issue there is would she be out of time? Because we were talking about a situation that what happens if the person dies and in this situation you're looking at a situation where obviously you're asking the question when ought they have taken the action mm. in in the context of the MRSA and the reason that that's relevant is that the law says that even though you have two years from the date of death under certain circumstances to take a fatal injuries accident action which is what we were talking about mm. That time will have been whittled down if, in fact, prior to the death, the action should have been taken within right, a period okay. of two years. Right. And, and, and But the key question, as I was saying on the last, sorry, Frank, the key question is whether you knew or ought to have known that MRSA might have been or, or could have been the cause of the death, if you know what Right, I mean. well, you just have to answer my question yeah. there. What yeah. was the MRSA responsible for the Correct. death? Correct. And the, int- the I, I use that word a lot, but the the issue in the judgment that we're talking about, the Supreme Court judgment last year, the issue in that judgment was the court was simply addressing the question, what are the criteria which you will apply to establish whether or not somebody should have a knowledge? And the court basically, this is putting it in a nutshell, basically the court says, you start by finding out whether or not they had knowledge. In other words, you establish the date that they got the knowledge, and then you ask the question right. whether they're out of time. But immediately, that I mean, you know, pretty much immediately, you've got MRSA in in, in a hospital situation. Very good, yeah, absolutely correct. And the the issue, ironically enough, that you've put your finger on was that that case was despite decided by the Supreme Court as a preliminary issue as to whether or not the person had knowledge or were out of time. The Supreme Court decided that they were not out of time but said, unfortunately, that the case will have to go back to the High Court to decide whether or not the MRSA was as a result of any negligence on the part of the hospital. Because the key thing with MRSA and the real issue with MRSA is contracting MRSA of itself is not negligence. You must establish that there was something wrong with the system within the hospital that caused, or if not, if you like, in one instance, mightn't have protected you from it, or that there weren't proper procedures within the hospital wow. to ensure that you didn't get it. A lot so, of people will be so surprised at that now, John. So oh, yeah. You, so it's your responsibility uh, to to find out what was the what caused if, the MRSA. Correct. If you're if you're in a situation where you contract MRSA, as you said quite correctly, the fact that you contract MRSA within the hospital environment doesn't by itself mean that you have a case. Wow. No. The fact of the matter is one of the fundamental principles of negligence is one of the very first things you have to establish is that there is a liability on the part of the defendant. Mm. So in other words that the hospital is liable. But John, in if I go into hospital and I don't have MRSA and I get whatever my little procedure done, done, and I end up with MRSA, well, put two and two together. Correct, but if you walk into a supermarket and you fall on the floor of the supermarket 
and uh, you know you you have an injury does that mean you have a case no it doesn't if you go into a hospital environment and you contract something within the hospital environment, that does not by definition mean that the hospital has been negligent. You must establish the fact that if you like this, and MRSA is a particularly difficult one because it's governed by both statute and it's also governed by common law negligence. But one of the fundamental principles of negligence is you must establish first of all that there is a duty of care and this goes kind of back to the fundamental basics of the law of negligence. Actually, I was I was reviewing or reviewing or reviewing our office, um, not manuals, but we we give books books. God, that sounds big, but anyway, we give booklets to clients on if you if you come in on a, on, on a particular thing like you're buying a house or you're selling a house. Or you're involved in road traffic accident or whatever, we'll, we will try and provide you with a, a free booklet which kind of sets out the whole process and what's involved in it. And one of the things, interestingly enough, that I just looked at the other day when I opened the book and I said to myself, well, actually, it doesn't deal with the fundamental principle of how is how is it that I have a case or how can I have a case and the fundamentals of how you have a case is you must firstly prove that there is a duty on the part of the other person so in other words a car driver has a duty to make sure mm. he doesn't he doesn't drive in a way that's going to cause you injury a doctor has a way has an obligation and a duty to ensure a hospital has a duty to ensure that you don't contract MRSA yes. within their but is that not established? Wall. No but the second part of it, sorry, the the second part of it is yes, you do establish there is a duty there. Of yes. course, there is a duty, but you must establish a breach of the duty. Right. So, in other words, the so fact, how do I go about that? Jeff? Well, if you well, you must in the case of an MRSA, you must establish that the systems within the hospital weren't up to a required standard that you would expect of a hospital in the particular circumstances of your case. So, in other words, that they didn't check for and test you before you came in that they didn't when you were in there ensure that all all do you remember I think you and I did a program this uh, maybe three years ago based on a on a study that was done by HICWA when they went into hospitals around the country I won't be pointing any particular fingers and they found that there were breaches of health and safety across the hospital now if you're in a situation that you contract MRSA in circumstances that weren't if you like, circumstances that should have prevailed to ensure that the, uh, that the hospital was carrying out mm. its duty. But, you know, it's a little bit like uh, somebody said to me there long, uh, not too long ago, actually, you know, do you remember the old ad, accidents happen? Mm. You know, now, not all accidents happen, if you know what I mean. They often happen for a reason and there is a cause and you must establish, if you're going to establish a case, you must start by establishing that there's a duty on the part of the person against whom you're taking the case. Secondly, you must establish that they're in breach of that duty. Mm. So it's the breach that's the important that's part. That's the important thing. Yeah. But again, just for clarity, if I go to John Lynch and I say, John, listen, I went in for to have my appendix out, mm. I, I got MRSA while mm. I was in there, what's my next step? So you're telling me now I have to go and prove yes. that the MRSA you must prove your case was, was caused by something yeah. they did. But yeah. how do I go about that? I mean, well, uh, that, that's a good, that's a very good question because therein lies the fundamentals of establishing what's a medical negligence case, or therein lies the fundamentals of how you establish any case. So if the client comes into me or the person comes into me and says, John, 
I was at work today and I did this or whatever and I have an injury as a result and or as you say I went into hospital I came out of hospital and I have this super bug can I do anything about it I mean I would start by saying well first of all we need to get a copy of all your medical records we need to get the copy of all the hospital records we need to get somebody to look at those records and we need to ensure then that we have an expert opinion that will say that on foot of the records and on foot of what you're telling them happened there was negligence on the part of the hospital and ironically enough ironically enough that is exactly the scenario that prevailed in the O'Sullivan judgment that I was talking to you about is that some eight years later this case comes into the Supreme Court on whether or not the lower courts applied the correct principles on the knowledge principle in other words whether they were right in saying that this person was out of time and in that particular situation and it's, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of on all fours with the question that you asked. This poor devil got MRSA in the hospital, right? He left hospital. He thought, you know, OK, I got MRSA, things aren't great, whatever. And he was then, and this is kind of putting in anecdotally, but he was think, sitting at home maybe a year later and he gets a telephone call from his mammy and his mother says to him, I was listening to a programme on the telly and it was talking about Joe Bloggs who got MRSA in the hospital and she gave him the name of Joe Bloggs. He rang Joe Bloggs. Joe Bloggs says, well, actually, there's a solicitor in such and such a place and he's an expert on MRSA. Go to him. So our friend went off to his uh, solicitor. His solicitor then looked for... Well, actually, he went to the... He went to the, if you like, the person who was on the TV programme. He put him on the solicitor, got on to the solicitor. The solicitor then actually sent him to his GP because he had a kind of a vetting system to see whether or not there was a, any possible, uh, you, know, you know, obvious or mm. potential area of question that you had to go and investigate. GP said, no, not, no negligence on the part of the doctor, blah, blah, blah. So he then went off and he requested the medical records. So he went off and he looked for the medical records from the hospital. He got those medical records. They were some 400, 500 pages of medical records. He then put those medical records together. He then sent those medical records off to a consultant in bacteria, MRSA or whatever. He then looked at it. Three years after your man, the man was discharged from the hospital, he, three years later, issues a report saying there was negligence in, sorry, there was a potential, okay, sorry, let me just be sure I'm, right, I'm putting this correctly. The medical report says, I think there was negligence on the part of the hospital. I'm of the opinion that there was negligence on the part of the hospital. So, right, bingo from a plaintiff point of view, from a person taking the claim, he now has what you were saying to me, how do you get, he now has the wherewithal to say that he has enough information right. to make his case now, by the way. Just make his case, not, not win his It's not case. a guarantee. It's, it's not a guarantee. Just to make he just case, has yeah. enough to start. Yeah. And therein lies the fundamental questions that kind of came along the road. When did he have knowledge? Did he have it when he requested the medical records? Did he have it when he went to the solicitor? Did he have it when mm. he left the hospital and knew he had MRSA? Which is by, back to the, the yeah. question that you asked. Listen, making an interesting point, though. Um, I mean, when we talk about knowledge and you say, you know, the files are your source. Mm. Um, but, of course, it could be something outside of the files as well. And the listener making the good mm. point. You put somebody into a ward, somebody else has MRSA, mm. and there you go. But that won't be in the files, you know. 
Well, you see, part of the process would be to looking for a discovery of the hospital uh, records to right. determine so whether not or not... Just, any, oh, no, uh, you wouldn't be limiting. Okay. You'd right. be asking, you would be making that inquiry. All right, yeah. I must take a break, uh, John. Uh, John's staying with us back in the moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And uh, you're very welcome back and uh, thank you for your contributions and people making specific uh, requests of John or indeed asking questions. I know John will take them away, have a look at them and uh, see if it's possible to come up with something for them in uh, future weeks. But in the meantime, John, you're going to have a look at uh, another case. Yeah, well, there's two I'm kind of debating between one or the other of them. (laughs) There's there's two what I found to be quite interesting cases because they illustrate certain things. Uh, I I think I'll stay away. I'll just hit one of them. And one of them is, it was a case that was handed down by the High Court, which has caused a little bit of ripple of kind of controversy. And what it involves a really, really tricky area. And it's the area of confidentiality and privacy. And just to give it kind of an it's broad, now, it's a case, just to tell you what it is, it's the Child and Family Agency versus AA, uh, and it's a particular case involving an individual. As you know, in these cases, they're always uh, A and BB and CC. Mm. There's so many A's and BB's and very hard to reference cases. But this was one was a tricky one, and it was it, was, it involved a 17-year-old who was in the care of the agency, the children's agency, and what he had was he had HIV, he got HIV in utero. So he had HIV and he was very fairly closely monitored because he was under the care of... I was right. going to say Just for clarity, no, that means he was born with HIV. Yes, Is that it? yes, yeah. yes. He, he got it in the womb. Mm. And... Um, so for 17 years he had this. Now he was on treatment for it. And the, what happened was that he, he became involved with, let's put it that way, he, with, with somebody outside the care of the health board, but another minor. And basically the evidence was that they monitored his comings and goings from wherever he was staying. They monitored his social media, i.e. The, his guardians, the, the, who were his, in local parentheses, parents. They monitored his social media. They monitored his comings and goings. And they also found him in bed with the, 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 the other minor. So they became concerned about the fact that if he was having unprotected sex with the minor that HIV would become an issue and that she would become infected. And they also had evidence that he came off his meds which controlled and suppressed the HIV. So they had a concern. So in in that circumstance, the 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 HSE, it's it's the Child and Family Agency, Um, I just call it the agency for for short, but the agency has a statutory duty and a statutory duty is kind of heavy duty, if you know what I mean, because Mm. it's, it's, it's written in law and in legislation. So they have a statutory duty as a guardian of the, of the minor. So we'll call it A and B if you don't mind. So they had a, a statutory duty to the, the child in their care, if you know what I mean, who was 17. 
and obviously he has a right to confidentiality and he has a right to privacy, etc. And then they also have a kind of an overriding or overarching responsibility to all children within the state as, the, as uh, an agency or an authority of the state. They have an overriding responsibility right. for the care of other children, right. if you like. I'm already but, seeing the complex of the Yeah, this, exactly. Uh, yeah. So... They're, they obviously had this conundrum and what were they going to do? Now, under the Children's Act, you can make an application as the help board to the court. So what they did was they went to the court and said, what are we going to do here? And they set it out. Now, the judgment, the reason that it's interesting to look at it is that the judgment and how the judgment how the judgment is handed down. Now, by the way, I just issue a kind of a, a, a not a warning, but a kind of postscript on this, and that is the fact that this case has been appealed, as I understand it, and it may be going to either the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court. I'd imagine it might actually go to the Supreme Court because it's so kind of it's of such public importance. Mm. The whole issue of balancing, and you know we've always talked about this. You know, life's always balanced. If you know what I mean, we're always balancing things, but the law invariably always balances two rights so that the right of privacy versus the right to protect the other minor, if you know what I mean. Now, the judge, and I leave it to whoever wants to have a look at the case to to determine who the judge is, but the judge uh, first of all decided that he didn't have enough facts to prove that child A, if you like, was having unprotected sex with with, uh, the other minor. So that was a kind of a get out of jail clause almost, if you know what I mean, because he said on the balance probability he wasn't satisfied. He then went on to look at the whole area and the whole question of the responsibility of the health board. And he looked at it on the basis of the responsibility of a medical doctor. Because if you, th- if, you, if you look at it, like there are certain scenarios where confidentiality is critical. I mean, ironically enough, in our profession, confidentiality is sacred as, mm-hmm. far, as, as far as I would be concerned. Is that if a client comes into you, they're entitled to, to understand that the information they give you will not be released under any circumstances and that's the whole freedom of information the whole uh, GDPR process is all around that mm. whole area of, of confidentiality but as you can imagine in a situation like this you're always going to have this you're heading towards the border of confidentiality breaching it and when do you breach it so he looked at the, a medical doctor and basically what he decided was that it was akin to a doctor and he then said well, okay when can a doctor actually breach confidence in terms of release information, which is highly sensitive and highly confidential? And the law, as he, as he put it, uh, and I say he's the high court, it's the high court judge, the law as the high court judge decided was, he said that only in circumstances where somebody was in fear, where there was an issue of death, that there's a fear of death, that, that by reason of whatever it was, it would cause a death to another uh, member of, of society and or serious harm. And he, then he went on, and I suppose to a certain extent, I think this is really, you know, really interesting to see what's going to happen when this is reopened, because I think it needs to be re- reopened, because he then went on to say, 
and looked at HIV and how t- how times have changed, he made the decision that HIV is not can't and won't cause death. Yes, and uh, isn't wouldn't cause serious harm. Now, and under those circumstances, he therefore decided that there wouldn't be any need to breach the confidentiality. Now, as a, anecdotally as it, as 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 one would have it, I was actually. I'm aware of the lawyers who are involved in it, and just as a bit of kind of kind of gossip, if you like, that we were talking about this case, and we said really interesting because we felt that he didn't address the issue of the responsibility of the help board to the other child, which they have. They have a responsibility to every child in the state, and or the the child children's agency, and he didn't he he kind of on the proof side of things he was way too stringent and he also was very narrow in his scope of when you should be breaching confidentiality mm. even as a doctor so, so when you when it's going to go to the Supreme Court but apparently what somebody says and I'll, I'll finish with you on this what somebody said who was the the lawyers who were involved in it was that I think the suggestion was that he wasn't too taken with the two individuals the two children who were 17 by the time this gets to the Supreme Court they'll be adults if mm, you know what I mean mm. but he, he wasn't he wasn't he kind of made comments to the effect oh yeah one of the other points that he made which again you know, you often think that your know, case law is kind of, you know, ivory tower stuff. But what he also said was he came down to the whole issue of personal responsibility. And he, he basically kind of said, to a certain extent, that there was an element of personal responsibility on the part of the 17-year-olds or the, the, the minors. And you're, you're kind of going... Wow. That's that's very interesting because yeah. I was going to put that to you. Did mm. it come into account at all the understanding that the 17-year-old may have had about his condition? It came into the reckoning that he did know he had a condition. It came into Did the he reckoning. know the complexity of that yes, condition? Yes, and the he was 17 and yeah, he was. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. was aware of yeah. that. And, and, and to a certain extent, that's what the judge was saying. Right. So he there was, was a responsibility. That he had, there was a sense of responsibility in there, but it was kind of, it's kind of, it could be arguably an abdication of the responsibility mm. of the state, you know, to the mm. other individual. But still at 17, even his understanding, surely that didn't matter. He was still a child. Correct. So you might argue, yeah, you, well, there's all sorts of arguments, yeah, arguments yeah, that you can yeah. make on it, Fran, which should be really interesting. When it comes, when it comes back before it's fascinating, the court, isn't it? You know, I mean, if, if you take the tragedy out of it and the oh, awfulness yeah. out of it, it's yeah. fascinating just yeah, academically. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, like all legal cases, sometimes we can be accused of being insensitive mm. because of the fact that behind all of these, there is a tragedy there because, I mean, the, this poor kid was in care course, yeah. right up to 17 uh, he was contracted. He inherited this, he inherited this disease, this yeah. Thing, and he was being cast. He's been watched to the extent that he's been watched. I mean, you talk about privacy, like they mm. were monitoring his comings and goings. They were they were watching all his social media. I mean, to a certain extent, I could imagine seventeen year olds out there now, if their mm. parents were doing that, Absolutely. would be objecting. But also, what was the emotional toll of that oh, yeah. disease on him over oh, those absolutely. years as well? Yeah. John, thanks very much, and it always a pleasure. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors.